Listeners, and welcome to Ohio Mysteries. This is our 10-minute mystery edition, a little slice of intrigue in the middle of your week. I'm your co-host, Steve Yoder, and with me is our storyteller and journalist, Paula Schleiss. Hi, everyone. Okay, so we're starting this story sort of in the middle, because the middle is when the public first learned about the Portuguese vampire sailor, James Brown. Come on, you're supposed to say... What? The singer? (laughs) (laughs) Well, let me introduce you to this James Brown the same way the entire country learned of him, by reading this tabloid beauty that ran in newspapers all over the country in July of 1885. It goes, The 6.30 Washington train on the New England road tonight conveyed from Boston a bloodthirsty wretch who for a dozen years has lived in a solitary cell in the Massachusetts State's prison. The involuntary passenger was James Brown, a Portuguese Negro, who in 1865 killed his captain at sea and drank his blood from the cloven skull. He was convicted in the United States court here and sentenced to death, but in 1867 his sentence was commuted to life imprisonment. And since that time, he had committed no less than 26 murderous assaults on fellow prisoners and on officials of the prison. All efforts to tame him have failed, and for several years, no human hand has ventured within the gratings of his cell door. Visitors who have curiously peered into the iron room have instinctively likened him to a tiger in a menagerie. For his bloodthirsty eyes and his constant pacing back and forth have made this comparison the most fitting. A few days ago, much to the relief of the warden, an order was procured for Brown's removal to the government insane asylum at Washington. And tonight, United States Marshal Banks and his deputy, Galupe, took him to that place. The prisoner was closely ironed, and in addition, his arms were pinioned behind him. And with his guard, he occupied the smoking room of a Pullman car, a close watch being kept on his every move, lest his murderous propensity should find opportunity for exercise. (laughs) Well, that was the story. I like it. A pretty shocking account of a living vampire. A vampire who would soon become a resident of Ohio. Oh, lucky us. Yes. Well, we know this because in 1891, six years after that story about the strange, dangerous train passenger, a former warden of the Ohio Penitentiary, B.F. Dyer, revealed James Brown was in Ohio. He wrote a book about noted convicts there, and that included Brown, who he said was known to have killed a shipmate and drank his victim's blood. 
Well, if the warden says so, right? Well, there came a time, however, when Ohio had enough of having to care for a bloodsucker because in 1892, James Brown was in the news again. I can't improve on the wonderful color of the 19th century yellow journalism. So let me read you the short story that ran in Ohio newspapers on November 4, 1892. Dateline Columbus. Deputy United States Marshal Williams of Cincinnati has removed James Brown, a deranged United States prisoner, from the Ohio Penitentiary to the National Asylum at Washington, D.C., The prisoner fought like a tiger against being removed. 25 years ago, he was charged with being a vampire and living on human blood. He was a Portuguese sailor and shipped on a fishing smack from Boston up the coast in 1867. During the trip, two of the crew were missing and an investigation made. Brown was found one day in the hold of the ship, sucking the blood from the body of one of the sailors. The other body was found at the same place and had been served in a similar manner. Brown was returned to Boston and convicted of murder and sentenced to be hanged. President Andrew Johnson commuted the sentence to imprisonment for life. After serving 15 years in Massachusetts, he was transferred to the Ohio prison. He has committed two murders since his confinement. When being taken from the prison, he believed that he was on his way to execution and resisted accordingly. So, the facts of our two stories have changed. James Brown was uh, no longer guilty of killing his captain, but rather of two crew members, and he had not killed 26 prisoners or prison officials during his incarceration, but merely two. Okay. Okay, but the press is holding fast to the most important element of this story, that whatever the number of his victims, he drank their blood. Now, in 1933, the story of James Brown reached a new generation in the book Wild Talents by a really well-known paranormal author, Charles Fort, who shared his tale and added some new details. Fort said Brown and his two victims were part of a whaling vessel that left Boston on its way to Labrador and that their corpses were found by the captain who had gone searching for the missing men only to step into the ship's hold, carrying a raised lantern, whose light illuminated brown on the floor in the act of sucking the blood from one of them. Brown was arrested, returned to Boston, convicted of murder, and sentenced to be hanged. However, President Andrew Johnson, that's the guy who inherited the White House after Lincoln's assassination, commuted the sentence to life in prison. His story also confirmed Brown's many years in Massachusetts, his time at the Ohio Penitentiary, and finally, reportedly after killing two people there, his transport to St. Elizabeth's in D.C., where he lived out his days in a padded cell. And that's where the story remained. For a century, nobody challenged the tale of the Portuguese vampire sailor until 2004, when an author named Robert Damon Schneck went to heroic lengths to figure this one out. He shared his research in a book called The President's Vampire, research that included tracking down the actual presidential pardon, the record of Brown's murder trial, jailhouse letters signed by Brown, 
and the actual captain's log of what happened on that ship. I was surprised all of the stuff still remained, yeah. but it did. So Schneck, he did prove there was a James Brown. He was convicted of murder, and the President Johnson commuted his death sentence to life imprisonment. But here's the rest of the story. There was no mention of vampires or countless deaths by bloodsucking. James Brown was a black cook on a ship who had gotten into a fight with another sailor who had insulted him. During the scuffle, Brown stabbed his crewmate. The incident didn't take place off the coast of Boston in 1867, but in the Indian Ocean in 1866. I just want to make a note. Don't get in a fight with a cook. They usually have the knives. They usually have the knives. Very big ones. Right. Yeah. Anyway, the captain's log proved that there was no search for missing crewmen who were later found drained of blood. It was one man in broad daylight killed before a ship full of eyewitnesses. Schneck also learned that in pleading with President Grover Cleveland for clemency, Brown described a scene in which he was attacked by his shipmate and fought back in self-defense. He said witnesses could verify that, though, unfortunately for Brown, his witnesses, given the nature of their work, were thousands of miles away at sea. President Cleveland wasn't moved, but later, President Johnson was. Also, there was no evidence that anyone died from Brown's hand or his fangs while he was living in prison. So where did the idea of Brown being a vampire come from? And why did it surface some 20 years after the incident actually happened? Certainly, it could have just been a slow news day when newspapers picked up the wire story about the vampire on the train headed for the insane asylum. You know the old adage, if it bleeds, it leads. But there was something else going on, at least at the tail end of the story. In the 1890s, there was a bit of a vampire panic in New England. New England, you know, they they no longer had the Salem witches. Those yeah, were gone. The witches were they gone. had to create a new create the menace. They created the <laughs> vampires. And the most famous case involved a family by the name of Brown. In Rhode Island, the Brown family became convinced family members who died of tuberculosis might not really be dead at all. They exhumed the bodies of several relatives, most of whom were decomposed in a way they would expect, but one young girl, Mercy Brown, had hardly decomposed at all. There was still blood in her heart, and they wondered if she wasn't fully dead. They cut out her heart and some of her organs. They burned them, and then they mixed the ashes with water and fed them to her brother, who was sick. Well, he died anyway. But given that the family shared a surname with our vampire sailor, uh, I don't know, is it possible some editor was inspired? Who knows? But the inspiration continues. Just in this past decade, author Christopher Farnsworth has written three novels about a fictional vampire that was pardoned by President Johnson and went on to serve future presidents for the next 140 years. And just in case you're trying to put this whole story in context, Bram Stoker wrote his classic novel, Dracula, in 1897. That's a few years after our tale tonight ends. All right. 
Well, that's it for our midweek 10-minute mystery. We'll see you here Sunday for our next regular full-sized Ohio mystery episode. In the meantime, enjoy the rest of your week, and may all of your mysteries have happy endings. Hey there! I'm Hannah. And I'm Audrey. We are a sister filmmaking duo and co-hosts of Sleepover Cinema, our show where we analyze the films that created the collective unconscious of the girls, gays, and theys of the late 90s and early 2000s. Princess Diaries, The Cheetah Girls, Aquamarine, Cinderella, the one starring Brandy. We haven't stopped thinking about these movies since we first saw them, and we want you to rewatch them and review them with us. Are these movies as bad as critics would have us believe? Do we even care if they are? We are always unpacking that very question on Sleepover Cinema. Check out Sleepover Cinema wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcasts.com. See you soon.